Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here. Hey, hey. Got DJ Mark here. Greetings. Uh, Lavender Gooms will join us in a little bit, trying to take care of some uh, some work slash family stuff right now, but he'll be in there shortly. He's, he's cleaning some pipes, and you decide what that is. Cleaning pipes, laying a pipe. You know how Mike does it, folks, one or the other. Really sold Mike there. You know, really put him over there for you folks. Um... So, we're going to talk about UFC 226, folks, because I was there. Uh, it was a hell of a show, quite frankly, especially once you got about a couple fights into the point I was at. Um, uh, real quick, Mark, did it come off as a good show on TV, besides the co-main event, of course? Yeah, no, I mean, I think all, at least for the main card, all the fights really delivered. Uh, the the Fox Sport one, yeah. I thought the, the, the fights were good, but they all went to decision, right? Yeah. Well, Except the whole the Paulo Costo fight, and that was a, a real fun one. That so, was a... And even the other ones were fun, too. I thought Close and uh, Lando was a really competitive, interesting mm-hmm. fight. And then, you know, uh, uh, Sunsau, every time I see Rafael Sunsau, I'm just more surprised. Like, oh, this guy is really good. Like, I know he's he's up, he's up in the upper mm-hmm. echelon, but just seeing, like, his skill set on display, I was like, yeah, this guy's really legit. Like, he doesn't excel in any one thing, but like, man, his stand up, his takedowns, his groundwork—it's like everything's just on point. Um, yeah. Uh, let's get into it, man, because uh, Daniel Cormier went out there, uh, knocked Stipe Miocic clean out in four and a half minutes, and laid claim—he laid his claim as being one of the greatest of all time, without question. Marcus. That power moves up when the man adds 40 pounds to his ass, huh? <laughs> uh, apparently, because we've never seen throughout his entire career. I can't remember any time he had seriously even, like, hurt someone standing. At 205. At 205. And just in general, well, I mean, he killed. Remember, he's the, first, he's the one who smoked Bigfoot. That was when he started to realize he's for real. Like, he put Bigfoot out. Standing, though? Yeah. Did he knock him out? He, okay. That, I mean, that, that, that probably was a good one. I mean, yeah, I, think I, mean he, I, I think he knocked out, like, Cummins and shit. But, like, that's true. I mean, he, like... He one hit or quitter this man basically, right? I mean, yeah. And what's kind of interesting, and this is his last fight against Voldemir. Um, there was a couple points in that fight where you actually saw Daniel kind of like flat-footed, sitting down on his punches, trying to do fucking work, trying to get some damage done. And the end, the end punch that really started here really wasn't one of those. Even though, uh, I mean, Bobby, it was kind of interesting. Daniel was doing that thing that you criticized. Um, in his last fight where he has just like for a guy who's, you know, this super high level wrestler, he does not have good entries into clinch position where he tends to really like sh- kind of duck down to one side and then try to like move forward while keeping his head kind of off the center key. Um, I mean, like like you alluded to kind of a red flag. If you have someone who's really good with high kicks, that's like that's he's kind of dipping into it there. But once he got through the kind of wrestling first couple minutes where Stipe just seemed bigger than him, it, he was getting him up against the cage. Cormier wasn't able to really utilize the wrestling. Um, he started using utilizing his boxing a lot more. And I was just really surprised that he was lighting Stipe up with a jab for Cormier, who's a lot shorter, who reach isn't nearly as um Everything as he long. threw looked like it hurt. Every single strike. He threw with really bad intentions, mm. which is something that he he doesn't always do. He usually does a lot of punches that are kind of setting up or getting ranging distance but these ones he was looking to contact looking to hurt um and he was doing a lot better i think in the later half of this round he started getting his timing better getting his distancing better um like i said landing that jab and but still the punch that did it was in the clinch where it the clinch is somewhere where daniel has gotten a lot better doing dirty boxing um but interesting enough i think he's always excelled with the dirty boxing where he's he's grappling the head with one hand and then throwing uppercuts and this punch was actually kind of a hooking punch from the clinch um, and just caught Stipe flush. And uh, Cormier was very smart, followed him down, got in basically a standing mount position and, you know, positioned himself ro- well to finish the fight and just unloaded on Stipe and knocked him clean out. And and you can tell um, after the fact Stipe wasn't really there. He thought it was, you know, when you get knocked yeah. out like that, all you know is that like, oh, I got hit. And then you wake up, it's like it's over. And it's like, yeah, you, you can't really blame a guy for his actions immediately afterwards, which... 
you know, you got to like just kind of corral the guy and be like, hey, man, this happened. <laughs> yeah, you're going to see the replay. You're going to realize I didn't fuck up as a ref. So. Um, it was just a performance for the ages. He looked so relieved because um, Daniel Cormier, I mean, actually, you know, like his, he's he's been the champion, right? But was he really to a lot of people? You know, fucking um, Malky. And I know Malky's Malky and he's a scumbag on some level. You know, better than Ali Abdulaziz by a mile. But he's, he's a, a manager. He's a manager. And he was on um, Ariel's show talking about, you know, his clients. How Yoel's going to 205. Interesting news, for example. But he said, um, he says, uh, what, did, what, what, what did he think about, you know, Daniel Cormier winning the title? And he said, congratulations, you're finally a real champion. Which is a scumbag thing to say, but a lot of people would think that. And yeah, I he, think the general and, consensus is in that line. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to be like he's the champion because the better guy disqualified himself. But, you know, it's the way it is. Um, right before the fight, and I put this in the group chat that, you know, because I was in the arena and I said, man, I like I like them both a lot. I really do. I like Stipe quite a bit. I know I picked Stipe. Marcus, did you pick Stipe with me? Yeah. And like, Stipe is, in my opinion, inarguably the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. You could probably say he might be the best heavyweight of all time. But I just, like, my little brother goes to me and he goes, man, DC's just a good dude, right? And I'm like, yeah, he really is. And I thought, if somebody's gonna do this, let it be this motherfucker. I mean, Stefan, I know you want to chime in, but like, it just, it was a, like, DC does nothing wrong. He just seems like the most wholesome motherfucker. Somebody called him uh, the daddest uh, heavyweight, of, uh, the, the daddest fighter of all time. Just with this whole, you know, sweatpants, sweater look. It's It was a feel-good moment, to be honest. Wouldn't you say, Steph? <laughs> I mean, now that uh, the two guys who picked Stipe have been talking for the last 15 minutes, let the kid who picked DC say a word. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it was a great moment. And I think everything you said is right. Is He won the legitimate undisputed title, right? We, we jokingly referred to him as the highly the highly contested champion or highly disputed champion or whatever it was. But, you know, it, it was a fun moment. And you say Stipe is undoubtedly the greatest heavyweight. Daniel Cormier, undefeated at this weight class. He only needed to win it this one time. He had been undefeated to this point. He probably would have been champion at this point had he actually stayed in the weight class. He thought Kane was going to be in his way, but Kane is a glass cannon. Kane has been on the shelf for pretty much almost the entirety of DC's light heavyweight like run more or less two uh, years without a fight yeah so it's like dc he, he was always waiting to come here and um it the ending played out differently i i thought it was a baller move he stole the brock fight from john jones this is the one thing he could do to john jones with john waiting on the sideline is because this is the fight bones wanted he was he was the one calling out brock because it made sense who would have thought brock would be in the title picture right well also so Steph, one win coming I mean, off of cheating I was going to uh, pardon me for uh, interrupting, but like he didn't just take that from him. This accomplishment he took from John Jones. Because for how long were we sitting there saying, when is John Jones going to just, you know, not cut weight and go whoop whoever the heavyweight champion's ass is? Like, since he was 20? Like, how long have we been talking about this? <laughs> yeah, that part, because, you know, I'll be the first to say that I think Dave Cormier is the second greatest fighter of all time. I don't mind that sequence. I don't I don't think of that as taking it from Jones because I feel like that's what the, when I made this pick, that was the narrative to me. Is DC is going to get this first real title and then John Jones is going to come take it from him. I I just believe it. It's not a knock against DC. I love the guy. Um you know, we talked about how not cutting weight, how the guy just looks absolutely drained. He, dude came in thick. Dude came in like a fat kid. Like even Stipe, uh, I got a chance to catch his interview with Megan Olivi post-fight, once he had a chance to come post-self. Total class act. Um, absolutely humble. Just a great dude, man. They're both such nice guys, honestly. <laughs> I mean, they went into this, not that I really caught it, but I remember they went into this tough season kind of like, telling you guys in advance, we're pretty respectful about each other. Like, besides an episode where they both felt the need to show each other their dicks, um, that was a little thing that happened. Uh, yeah, they were just little. Weird. Stefan, that wasn't that. Was, you didn't have to call it a little thing. That's a little bit unnecessary, man. I mean, it was weird, right? I don't. I, I, that was the one episode I did catch, and it's like Stipe put a bunch of photos of like his dick in DC's locker room. So DC went to the locker room and just pulled his pants down and like just gave it to him in the flesh. Like I'm like, 
I don't know what this is right now. <laughs> this is some, um, like, amateur wrestling alpha male bullshit. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's it. You know, good, good for DC. Great, great win. And what a moment because it, it really washed away the stinker that came before it. And that's yeah. kind of its biggest accomplishment. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into that where I've never been an arena. That, yeah, uh, we'll talk about that coming event in a moment. Uh, DC does he gets lays claim to being one of the greatest of all times, being the goat. Him, George Saint Pierre, uh, Demetrius Johnson, um, and then you want to start adding uh, the DC category, which he laid out that the cheater category, as DC will put it, uh, John Jones, Anderson Silva. Fucking, you know, this is, he's on the list. And he said himself, he says, I wanted to do something that would make sure that no one could ever bring up the greatest of all times without mentioning me as one of them. And he did it at 39 years old. Um, Let's talk about Brock. So uh, right before the main event, I'm not sure if they showed us on the pay-per-view that Brock was in the arena. Did they show that before the Oh, uh, Bobby. I thought this dude was setting up a fucking alibi with how much TV time they gave this. <laughs> you saw him walking in. You see, they keep the camera on him as he goes to Joe Rogan. And he, he goes to Joe and says, like, I want to be on your podcast. It's like, all right, bro. Literally, I, I told Steph on that, like, okay, he just hired a hitman because he's obviously setting up a, a alibi where it's like. Somebody's got to somebody's gotta look at a. On the mic at two hours and 58 minutes. We need somebody to check in on Sable, you know, make sure she's okay. That's right? I said, I said uh, <laughs> no, I said he hired someone to kill. Uh, what's that? Mark, Mark. No, I was going to say Mark Maron. That's not it. You Roman know, Reigns. Oh, yeah, Mark Moreau. Oh, Mark Moreau. Sable's old ex-husband. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so Brock gets in there. And DC apparently didn't know Brock was there until right after the fight. Uh, DC calls Brock into the cage after getting all emotional and stuff. And by the way, it took them too long to give DC a second fucking belt. Like, how did they again not, how were they again not prepared for this? That's a side note. Um, he calls Brock into the cage. Brock gets in. People in the arena, by the way, are losing their fucking minds. Which I get. Brock Lesnar's a big deal. He shoves DC. People are losing their goddamn minds. People are yelling. DC's five foot three boxing coach shoves Brock immediately, which the balls on that man just clanging together, making the noises, man. Balls that big. Um, Brock gets the mic, says the heavyweight. He called about talking about the heavyweight abomination. Says Ngannou's a piece of shit. He forgets Derek Lewis's name. Then he says Miosic is a piece of shit. And then he said DC. I'm coming for you, motherfucker. And then he punched and broke a camera lens. That's like $80,000. Um, look, we all know, we've all been pro wrestling fans. We know what just happened. Marcus, that was a lot of fun though, right? It was, well, the way I saw it was DC was cutting a pro wrestling uh, promo and Brock was trying to be the MMA fighter. It's like they switched roles. Because you see, once DC got the, got the mic, it was like, all right, I'm going to have some fun. He's walking around the cage, calling Brock out. And it's very jovial, right? I think the atmosphere in the cage, and that's why when you look at uh, pictures of Brock pushing a DC, look at Dana in the background, Joe Rogan, everyone's smiling. So this was just like a fun little like, oh, they're going to come and do a little stare down. And then, but Brock had a dip, different atmosphere. Was, I'm big dick Brock Lesnar, and I'm going to be shoving people and cussing because I can't do this in WWE. So, I mean, it, it, seemed, it was very weird. It was too tonal, right? Like, it seemed like it was going to be a fun thing for DC, and then DC Brock came said, in super serious. DC and it was said he like, did. All right, all right. DC said he because DC has known Brock for twenty years, like they've right. known each other. Mentioned that, yeah, yeah. And he said like Brock's always been so nice to me when I want to go to these events. I just call him up, you know. He gets me and my kids tickets, and he's like, and then Brock just goes, you know, he thought Brock was the one playing wrestler and just shoves me, and he's like, and then he's and then DC was like, man, I didn't expect him to be so strong either. Like DC went flying. Um, Stefan. I know before the podcast we talked, you're like, you weren't, the, you weren't the biggest fan of this. I want to give you, give me your thoughts on that. And also, do you give the slightest shit that Brock fights for the title at heavyweight or why not? Um. Well, I just kind of Mark covered it. It was just awkward. It's not that I hated it. It's just it was an awkward energy because Brock kind of took it a little too seriously. He took it a little bit far. It's the one thing. It's like, yeah, you're messing around. But then you remember, Brock's the guy who like didn't like how hard Roman hit him in a match so he punched him for real. That's that was that was Braun that was Braun Strowman. But yeah, oh, that Braun was Strowman, that was 
He kneed him upside his head. Brock had to retaliate full force. I mean, that's what that moment was to me. That's like, DC's, I'm having fun with this. And Brock's like, I'm going to take it a little far. Um, you know, just seeing him again, having seen... I know he was wearing shoes, you know, so that always adds. But, man, when he was in the cage, I kind of forgot what a mass of humanity he is. You know, because when you're in pro wrestling, you have a lot of overinflated guys as well. But uh, when you step in the cage, the dude is just freakishly large. Um... Do I care about him getting a title shot? I Maybe like 20%. It's like you've already made such a mockery of all the belts. It's like how, you know, there's not much further to fall. Like a year ago, I've probably been a little more upset. Um, it's what, weird. Step He's on coming this. off of a, a fight which is a no contest because he tested positive. Before that, he had a devastating like body blow loss, right? Like ovary. He just had those two fights. Like... He has no momentum. This is this is completely banking on short-term memory that people don't remember what Brock actually did in his last two octagon appearances. Yeah, I think like and he's I lost my train of thought in this, but he yeah he's coming off with a no contest. I mean, he was winning that fight pretty handedly against Mark Hunt. Tested positive, looked done as hell against Overeem. And uh, you know what? I was going to say also what happened in the co-main event uh, made me feel much, made me care almost zero that Brock's going to get a heavyweight title shot. Because I'm like, you're not going to give it to Derek Lewis after that. Um, I know I mean, Curtis Blades is sitting Curtis Blades like, is the one. Damn, man. I thought I did good. Curtis Blades is the one that deserves it most. Um, there's money to make, Curtis. You're young, too. So Sorry. It it kind of reminded me when Bisbing fought GSP, and at first it seemed kind of unnecessary. But then, as the the field kind of cleared itself, there was like, eh, there's there's no one person that's really screaming to get that title shot. And I think we're in a similar situation. I do think that Curtis Blades is the most deserving of the people in the field right now, uh, but it's not an exciting fight. And I think with DC basically saying that he has two left in the chamber for the rest of his career. I think it's fair that he gets the big paydays, right? And I before it, Bobby just mentioned today, it kind of came out that he's now hedging a fight with uh, Shogun Hua at light heavyweight, um, which I, it's still a big fight, but it's not a very, it's not a super big fight. Cause I don't think, I, I guess Shogun I mean, I had to, we had to be, Yeah, we had to look that up to be like, wait, has Shogun won anything? And we realized if he wins his next fight, it's four in a row and like, well, okay. <laughs> And at the same time, like I don't, I'm not really interested in seeing DC go back to light heavyweight. Like he does not look good at 205. I think when you're kind of two fights away from kind of hanging it up, why risk the big Brock fight by having to cut a bunch of weight and fighting Shogun? I mean, I think he could beat Shogun. I think it's a fairly safe fight. I think the weight cut is more of the concern. Um. So yeah, but, but going back to Brock, I think if there was, if Francis Nagano demolished uh Derek Lewis or if Dos Santos was on more of a run if there was more of a front runner I would I would be a little bit like hey, this isn't really deserving but since the field isn't super packed it's a big fight and I you know I think just for pay-per-view bucks and just general appeal I think a lot more people are going to be interested in this fight because really it's probably like the biggest man versus like the shortest man I think that stare down is going to be weird I think they have and, and like they did here they did a good little promo thing that you know the UFC is going to be able to package and sell you know for months to to come and I think Cormier at the end of his career you know kind of like Bisbing right like I wasn't super with Bisbing it was like there was a line of guys for a time that was like yeah. you have to fight one of these guys and they cleared out and I was like all right do GSP now, and it's kind of a similar situation. Let's so, get this man a check on the way out the door, right? Let's just get yeah. this man a big check. And more so, I want to see this fight. I think it's a really interesting fight. So yeah. I'm really down to see how these two clash. And, you know, hopefully, I really, I just want that fight to happen. I don't really want the Shogun fight to happen, even though it may make more sense. Uh, so I hope DC, I don't know, because he's going to want another fight before January. So I th Honestly, Mark, I think he put it out there to make sure he gets paid like he's fighting two fights. If you're going to take one of them away from him, basically. I think that yeah. was by design. DC's a smart man. Yeah, let's get the man a fucking check, huh? And uh, all the pro wrestling people are just sitting there like, great. This is the champion. Hasn't been around for seven months. Now he's here. Um, that's a whole thing. Pro wrestling people know. Brock's not around. People are annoyed. He's not going to work SummerSlam, maybe. Very strange. He's got to get He's got to get off whatever he's taking, too. So, I mean, no shame. It's pro wrestling. Why wouldn't you?
All right. Um, yeah. So uh, the co-main event, 33 total strikes landed. Nothing fucking happened. Derek Lewis has a bad back. That was his excuse. At least he had one. And Ganu pretty much just said he froze. Like he just froze and he didn't have a good excuse. Um, I'd never been in an arena where they did the cell phone firefly thing. And there was a full-on wave. And I don't mean like 60% of the arena was doing the wave. I mean the entire arena was doing the wave. Everybody Nerds. was doing the fucking wave. Losers. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was um, that was a terrible fight. Um, so, so, so bad. I don't know what else to say. So there's that. Yeah, I mean, it was all time. You say he didn't have a good reason. Um, I saw his statement he put out. I was totally solid with it. Um, I liked it better than, uh, Dana immediately burying the fuck out of his fighter. That, uh, you know, I could tell Dana had a little sour grapes about the promotion that just went into this guy. Mm. You know, uh, Dana loves to play the jilted lover. Uh, he said he he brought the fear with him, and I believe that entirely because that's what it looked like. That was a Stipe was the first guy who ever hit him like that. It was the first guy who ever took him down like that. A, <coughs> the first guy that ever made him gas like that. And when you Word. gas that bad, it feels like you are drowning. It is a scary feeling. This is, you know, it, what I, I talk about it all the time with like those vicious knockouts um, about where they can be life altering. You know. And maybe sometimes they aren't because you don't remember them. But sometimes defeats like he had against Stipe, that lingers with fighters. It mentally, like, like psychologically messes with them. And that's what it looked like to me. Dana with the ego thing, I thought that was a little harsh. Um, yeah, I, think I mean, him just being spiteful. Yeah, that was weird. It was also because I look, everybody's noticing Ganu dressing like, you know, his entire wardrobe's from Gucci now. But like, come on, man. You call them the hardest puncher in human history. Let's let's you know he's a he's a fighter he has to have an ego he had a bad fight let's and he just Dana White I mean he thought he was gonna he was gonna cut Anderson if Anderson had another fight like the Damian Maya one come on now Sorry. and look it was one of the worst all fights of all time um, I'm not gonna take that away from it it definitely deserved that but it always takes two I'm not letting Derek Lewis off the hook with a bad back uh, yeah. he was he was timid as hell too he wasn't firing back it's like he was confused um, he knew it was bad he he didn't go out there anymore himself. It was really ugly on both their parts. Uh, I don't know. Man, I'm, not, I'm not letting anyone off the hook for that. Uh, my little brother was roasting me. And you guys know my little brother, so it was pretty entertaining. Because um, my parlay um, was Nganu, um Paul Felder. So, yeah, it didn't go well. Um, and um, Rafael Asuncao. And my brother, and I also, though, hedged my bet a little bit. And I put 20 bucks on Derek Lewis catching a knockout. I mean, uh, getting a knockout. And my little brother's sitting there as this fight is happening. He's like, let me get this straight. Not only you picked the wrong motherfucker and blew up the parlay, but your backup plan is not happening either. You put, you lost another 20 bucks. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's happening. Um, that's happening. So, um, yeah, it was awful. Um, Mike Perry and Paul Felder happened. Just a good fight. And I thought Mike Perry showed some growth um, being with uh, Greg Jackson clearly showing that he's become a better fighter um that had no business being a split decision he had a pretty clear two-round advantage um no mike perry's a tool but nice to see a man make improvements to his game a young guy at that marcus no i i just wanted to chime in that that was kind of our biggest criticism in his last loss is that we really criticized his corner and having his girlfriend in the corner and the strategies that they were giving him were just they were nonsense. You know, he did not have a good backup system. And I'm glad that he recognized that. And he went to one of the, the best camps in MMA today. And we're seeing the results of just the first training camp they had. He looked a lot better. He was able to pull the trigger. He was able to utilize his skill set a lot better. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, I don't know if you listened to the podcast. If he did, good job, Mike, on taking the criticism to heart and, you know, furthering your career. Because some guys do get stagnated and stay at their home gym for too long and it's good that Mike Perry kind of had a tough loss and he went back and kind of reevaluated things and I think made the correct decision so good on him um pretty Tony Pettis went out there um which that's a nickname the co-main event podcast gave him which I think is a pretty good one quite frankly um basically telling you Anthony Pettis is a handsome man Anthony Pettis decided he wants to be Anthony Pettis again and it looked like he made that decision about uh two minutes into the fight Stefan where Anthony Pettis is like, you know what? 
I'm Anthony Pettis. I used to be the best lightweight in the world, and nobody's fucking questioning it. I'm going to fight like that. And then he did. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, the most vintage performance we've seen in a long time. It's the first time he's really been showtime in the UFC, save for maybe that body kick I think he landed on Joe Lozon. Um, yeah, I mean, I will say I also give it up to Chase. He was pretty gracious in defeat for having very clearly stated in between rounds, not a, I think, a clear accusation that uh, Mr. Pettis had greased in this Man, match. Man, Chiesa has an excuse all the fucking time. And then at the weigh-ins, after you miss weight, you probably can't go to the weigh-ins and yell, you know, take your ass to Bellator, to the other guy. Like, you've lost all of the high ground. We don't want to hear a fucking word from you when you miss weight, right? Well, I don't want to hear a word because he fucked up the uh, missing weight wins the day argument of 2018. No, there's, a, there's already been a couple. I mean, this is the second one, I think. Is it? All right. Magic's on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, you're, fight, when you're, you're facing vintage Tony Pettis, who I'm now in, like, I'm sold. If like Because Anthony Pettis has tapped out off his back. Benson Henderson, Michael Chiesa. Uh, did he tap Gilbert out off his back? No. Gilbert Melendez, he lost yeah. to him, I think. No, and he beat Gilbert. Did he jump the guillotine or did he get it on the ground? Oh, no, you're right. That's when he was still champion. Look, the, like, these yeah. are guys who don't get tapped out. Like, Anthony Pettis' guard is fucking sick. Like, he... Can I have you the wet blanket? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm not totally all the way sold. Uh, Chesa, while he's always better than we think he is, he's also kind of in the mold of a gatekeeper. He's very limited athletically, and that's one thing Anthony Pettis is. Like, that's kind of, to me, what's what's been kind of killing him at the top, is when he fights better athletes... They just have a better IQ, aggression, trigger pulling, whatever you call it. Like, I mean, yeah, he's st he stopped the bleeding. I'll give. I, I think Pettis has stopped the bleeding. I'm yet to believe he's back in the conversation. That's fair. Um, I was just happy to see that. And Kiesa talked about his weight cut today. I'm a strong proponent of the 165 pound division. Um, that's just my opinion. I think 165 would be great, and they made one. They move 170 to 175. Just that would make sense to me. Not some people feel differently. Either way, Michael Chiesa needs to get to 170 because he's a big dude and he's getting older, and it's not going to get easier for him to cut weight. So let's get that going. Uh, Khalil Roundtree Jr. I did not see that shit coming, and I don't think anybody else did either. The way he uh, murked Gokensaki. Hell of a performance for him. Uh, let's tag that into another young guy we got. Um, I'll also uh, pat myself on the back for that pick. I think Marcus, did you get that one too? No, I picked Saki. Yeah, you and me. Um, that was another one. I had twenty bucks on Saki by knockout. My little brother was not letting me uh stop there, uh, let that go at all. Um, and then let's talk about Paulo Costa Uriah Hall, where uh for a guy he was, I mean Paulo Costa was a massive favorite, and Uriah Hall did get knocked out. I, uh, that was an awesome fight, and I came out of it thinking, man, at distance, Paul, uh, Uriah Hall really showed his game, did really well, but Paulo Costa, uh, when he closed the space, was just too much, so, Marcus, we got some young cats out there making moves again. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, what a fun prospect, I mean, not only did he have, you know, a fantastic win, not only does his body look like it was sculpted for marble, and his face is handsome i couldn't think of another analogy for that one but uh i mean he's kind of the whole package i mean really what i was most impressed with was his punching power and how he mixed up strikes to the body and to the head um he's really someone to look out for and you know middleweight is a really interesting division i think there's a lot of fun fights that you can uh slot this guy in and uh so hopefully we can see him again soon because i think this was a good jumping off point for him uriah hall is a name fighter that a lot of people know and he had a really good outing so i think we're only going to see him clashing up against more well-known fighters and i think steadily he will be growing on the ranks and i don't think you know within a year or so we'll see him you know chomping at the bit for a title if things keep going the way they are yeah stefan um your thoughts on costa and uh mr roundtree um, I'll go do Costa first. Since we're on the top topic. Everything Mark said is right. The guy looks like you know, um, Slam Magazine for basketball. They used to do that annual issue where they called next. Uh, Costa's next. Consider him in this line. You know, uh, middleweight has been very talent laden, but when you actually look at the scope of it, it's starting to age up a little. 
you know, you got guys in their uh, early to mid thirties now. So Paulo Paulo kind of represents that next wave coming up. Um, he he can take a he can take a shot too, right? We got to see that. Uriah Hall for his losses, he looked good in this fight. Um, I was even joking with Mark. He kind of turned me in that moment when uh, Paulo Costa whipped a high kick, and then he kind of did the like little hand gesture, like looking, like "Whoa, you missed by a long shot." I'm like, that's some good shit talking right there. Oh, that what was, was that? that uh, Stefan, what was it? What did he do? Because I was trying. I thought maybe he like he like reached out, like he put his hand out, and then, no, like, I thought he that thing where you put your hand over your eyes to like block the sun. He kind of did that, and then he like looked over, like "Whoa, you missed by a lot." Like, oh, the crowd loved like, that. You really with the shit. I'm like that. Was, I'm like that's clever shit talking. Like that's good showmanship. And like in that again, you, in, you saw those flashes of why we always want to believe in Uriah Hall. He's hyper athletic. He had a great jab at the start of the fight. He was really controlling. But I think it's great to see that Paulo. He showed he can adjust. Right. This guy had a good jab. He had the speed on him. He got he got he got tagged a couple times, but he he took it well. Um, he's gonna he's gonna be a beast. Yeah, until, he, until he pops, because put him at the top of my list of, like, how has this guy not tested positive for something yet? Yeah, and uh, he called out Adesanya, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, he's young. He's huge. Yeah, I don't know. Let, let's he, get him. Let's... He kind of reminded me like a uh, Romero, too, because he got some cheap shots in there, too. And uh, mm -hmm. it's like this guy's not squeaky clean. You don't see a lot of low blows with punches. So, uh, And I think he got an eye poke in there somewhere, too. It's like, all right, this guy... This guy could be something. I like yeah. it, though. He uses his points. We always talk about it. You get one low, you get one high. Use him. Yeah. Got to get him. So oh, I like that he had Walid as his translator. I was trying oh, to explain God. to my little brother. Like, oh, Walid, get out of it. I was trying to tell Nikki, explain to my little brother who Walid was, and I'm like, there's not enough time, Nikki. When you get a chance, you just Google Walid Ismail. I believe he's like, Mark's commentary after each like cheap shot was like, Walid is like, good job, good job. That's, <laughs> that's the plan. That's the move. That is the move. Um... And then Rafael Asuncao, which I told my little brother, look, if you want to go, there's a Shake Shack, by the way, in this new arena. It's kind of cool. But I'm like, Nikki, if you want to go get a burger, now's the time because I know what's going to happen in this fight. Uh, Paul, uh, Rafael Asuncao is about to, you know, son the, uh, Rob Fontier, teach him, you know, what this game's all about. And it's going to take about 15 minutes. Um, Asuncao's very, very good. Marcus talked about the beginning of the show. He's better than we always remember. And he'd won, he's won 10 of 11. And he told Joe Rogan, or 11 of 12, and he said, nice to meet you, Joe Rogan. It's the first time you're interviewing me. And that tells you everything you need to know about a man not getting a title shot he deserves. Right there. Right? I mean, Stefan, your thoughts. <laughs> I liked his speech. Um, Mark stepped out for a moment, but that kind of really made me get behind him. And I hope uh, other people do, like... He was pretty just legit about it. Like he's like, I know I'm not finishing, guys, but I am winning, and I am winning against really good guys. I do have a win against the current champion. Like he he gave that impassioned speech, and it's one of those things. I sat there and I watched the fight. It's easy to write him off because he just gets decisions, but he looks good doing it. He dropped Fawn a couple times. You know, he doesn't have KO power, but he has power you got to respect. You know, and it was a pretty entertaining fight because Font, you know, sometimes just got you know real pro level. Uh, top control. As DC says, there's levels to this, and Asuncao's on the higher end of it, but Font, you know, he basically knew what he was doing, enough to make it interesting, right? It was never just being held there. He was always scrambling. He was always fighting to get back to his feet, but you know, yeah, it was it was a, for an Asuncao decision, it was one of his more entertaining ones. Yeah, either give the man a title shot or give him Dominic Cruz, if Dominic Cruz can fight, right? Let's, let's get some moves here. Um, did any of you guys see Israel's fight? I did. Okay, Marcus, my understanding is, because I was in the air for a lot of this, um, and then at a Korean restaurant, that Israel laid a 25-minute ass-whooping on Brad Tavares that really showed that he is he's for real. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, this, this was the performance that I think we were kind of expecting out of him in his last couple fights, that he looked good in his, his last fight in the first two rounds, and he kind of did not look so great in the third, where he was able to get taken down and kind of controlled. And, you know, going into this fight with Brad, um, who's a very game journeyman, who's very strong, you thought that maybe, I, I thought maybe in the later rounds, I, I ended up picking Brad, even though I knew going in there was going to be an uphill battle for him, that maybe in the later rounds, Israel would tire out, and that's where Brad would be able to turn it on. And, no, Israel was able to maintain his pace and his stamina, mostly because he was dictating the fight the whole time. Like, the fight was really played on his terms. Um, not to say Brad Tavares wasn't game in this one. He was throwing punches, but... 
the length and just the skill of Israel, it really, for Brad to land any punches, and he landed some, they were really at the end of his punches, straight punches going to the head. And Israel is just so fast. His head movement's so good that even the few punches that did uh, connect, he was able to kind of move with, did, you know, a lot of the damage was taken off. And throughout, you know, the couple of rounds, he was able to utilize some good skills. And I think the most impressive move he had, Bobby, was at one point he was holding, when they were standing, he held on to Brad's uh, wrist with his hand. And he kind of used that wrist control for a second to throw an elbow off to the uh, off to his head, which not only landed but caused a really serious cut right over uh, Brad Tavares's eyes. Um, and, and for Brad's credit, you know he's a guy that we've always known as a really tough, tough dude, and doesn't get finished a lot. Doesn't finish a lot of guys. He just hangs in there. And he had a moment in the fourth round where he was able to get Israel down. Um, but Israel kind of knew his P's and Q's on the ground as well, which I was kind of surprised. He was able to work himself back up. Um, Brad had an opportunity to kind of take his back. He didn't sink the hook ins. He kind of rode off to the side and that allowed Israel to get back up and pretty much snatched any chance Brad had to like really do some good groundwork and maybe start getting some momentum. And then in, in the fifth round, Brad looked tired when Brad took a shot. Not only was Israel sprawling out, he was going for guillotine chokes that transitioned into side mount. He was kind of running a ground game on Brad Tavares. I mean, obviously, at that point, I think Brad was mentally and physically just drained. But it was a great showing for Israel. It, it, really, it really was the kind of showcase fight that he needs to kind of make a statement and say, like, yeah, you know, it wasn't a big flashy knockout, but it was just controlled aggression and tactics throughout the fight, which is, I think, what he excels at. So, yeah, fantastic fight. Uh yeah, uh, he wanted to fight. I mean, what's uh, Paulo wanted to fight him. Dana White said he liked the he liked that, but he's not gonna he's not gonna book his two prospects against each other right now. So, um, we'll see where we go from here. Uh, and uh, just real quickly, I'm trying to look at the anything else that happened. I saw Roxy uh, got got a TKO win. It was a good yeah, fight. Yeah, and uh, I heard that was just a long fucking card though. People were complaining about that. Um, a good amount of it. I thought Southwest Airlines used to have Fox Sports 1. I was going to watch it, but I guess they don't. That would have been nice. I had it in my memory that I've watched Ultimate Fighter on a plane before at Southwest. It must have been <laughs> FX. It must have been. They had <laughs> FX, though, so maybe it was just FX. Um, so, yeah, there is a UFC card next week. Uh, we're not going to pick it out. We're not going to pick it, uh, but just mentioning, I like Junior Dos Santos fighting in general, so I'll be, I'm interested in that. And um, Chad Mendes is back against Miles Jury. That's not exactly a cupcake fight. Uh, Eddie Wineland still doing his thing. Darren Elkins, Kat Zingano, Marion Renault, Dennis Bermudez, Liz Carmouche is on this card. Uh, Jessica Aguilar, not bad. I not think bad it's, at all. it's really deceiving because a lot on a lot of times on these cards, you look at the main event and it's like that's going to be the best fight you got. You assume the rest is going to be bullshit. Exactly. Normally. Yeah, you expect that there's a big drop off, and when you see Dos Anjos, who completely legitimate, like that is a. A fun guy to watch, but it's really his dancing partner in this one, some Russian guy that I do not know. So when you see that as the, as the main card, you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a rough card. But you look down, it's like, fuck, there's good name value on this. Like, this is a legitimately good Fox Sports 1 card, and we haven't been getting a lot of those recently. So I think it makes this one feel a little extra special, too. Uh, yeah, right on. Um, fuck it, let's just do... Um Let's talk about some MMA history today. I'm trying to think what else happened this week. There was enough stuff, I think, probably, right? Yeah, Ronda got in the Hall of Fame. That was cool. Oh, yeah. Matt, no, that was not even the highlight of that shit. Matt Sarah, the night before the Hall of Fame, wrangling some dude, some drunk guy in a restaurant was my favorite Instagram video uh, I saw this week easily because he was just sitting on this dude's chest, in, like just in mount, letting this guy flop around, and the guy drunk being like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press charges. And Matt Sarah's like, yeah, okay. You know, calm down, calm down. People just laughing their asses off in the restaurant at this poor son of a bitch. Um, if there's ever a guy, Steph, that you're like, oh, I'm not, the, I don't have to worry about this guy, is Matt Sarah's fat ass at this point, right? And then that I happens mean, to the what? He's like five foot six. He's bald, he's a little fat now. You're not an MMA fan. You would not pick him out of a lineup. Yeah, Matt Sarah, still my favorite fighter interaction I've ever had in person. And he blocked us, which still bothers me far more than the fact that Will, that Will Brooks bought, blocked us. Mostly because this one's my fault entirely. <laughs> oh, super nice guy. Super thin skin. <laughs> you know what? Matt Sarah, I love you. You're still the nicest fighter I've ever met in person. And uh, congratulations on the Hall of Fame to him. And Absolutely. me and and to, um, you said it already, uh, Rhonda, worthy nominee there. 
And uh, the gentleman who's been working backstage at the UFC, they, I forgot his name, Bruce something, got in. All right. And I believe they put in a fight that we were all been to. We've all been to. No. I, not only do we, not only had we been to the uh, Henderson Shogun fight, like I think that was one of the first ones we nominated in our thing, and we yeah. have the whole span of all MMA to pick from. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, that's easily one of the best fights ever. And now UFC's getting around to it on year like five or some shit. Yeah. So. Right. So that's happening. Um, congrats to all those people. Um, Man, I know it was the promotion and it had to do with the game, but you noticed they were giving a, uh, you didn't notice, Bob, but they were giving a lot of camera time to uh, Tito and Chuck. And I'm like, wow, UFC is re- being really friendly about giving this, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Golden Boy from MMA uh, promotion here. And they're like, yeah, they, they did a stare down. Just giving them the- free advertising. They did a stare down on that red carpet. I was like, what? I'm like, is Dana not here? Like, what is going on? I mean, Oscar De La Hoya is sitting there with his hands like Mr. Burns saying, excellent, thank you. Get that hype out there for me. I like I like the theory that this fight was only booked because Oscar is angry that they booked uh, Floyd and Connor the, the same month as um, what's the, uh, Canelo and whatever. I think it was Canelo and GGG or something. Something like there was a fight that Oscar wanted, and they, they, he's convinced the UFC fucked him on purpose. With the Conor McGregor and uh, no. Floyd Mayweather fight. Let me tell you, making Ortiz Liddell is not upsetting anyone. If 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 he's doing the whole like no one's paying attention, Dana White's Terminator sense just sees those two guys and be like, not a threat, <laughs> not a threat to our bottom line. We're not losing any pay per view buys on this one. Uh, Israel's on Twitter right now saying he uh, he's waiting for Derek Brunson to talk some shit. I'm in favor of that fight too. I would like to see Israel Adesanya versus Derek Bronson. That sounds like a good time for everybody involved. Um, yeah, let's do uh, some MMA history this past week. Um, this one is really for me and Stefan, where for the longest time, Steph, this was the angriest I think both you and I had ever been watching a cage fight. July 5th, 2008, Quentin Jackson versus Forrest Griffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when we liked Rampage, though, right? Um, yeah. And that's because uh, also because, uh, you know, racism. When we were watching yeah. him against uh, Chuck, we, we wanted him to we wanted him to be legit, and uh, yeah, Forrest Griffin, he would kind of make outside of Stephen Bonner, this is the fight that would make his career, right? Yes, you know he he was a fleeting light heavyweight champion. He he wasn't long for that title reign. He wasn't long for the elite of the division, but you gotta respect the accomplishment all the same. Uh, Forrest Griffin, he's right there with Kenny Florian. As I was. Was always one of my guys. The guys who just really maximized what they had. They yeah. were hard workers. High Michael effort. Bisping. Michael Bisping. Not a lot of athleticism. You know, they just they were just hard workers. Even if and Forrest Griffin in particular, even if he didn't always look like it, um, man could get big between fights. But yeah. uh, you can see that dad bought abs when uh, ever when fight night came around, and he was a tough guy. He was a fun guy. We mentioned him uh, the other week, right? When we we're talking about how. Uh, the camera panned on him in the crowd, and everyone loved him. They yeah. were shots, and that's the takeaway. You know, Forrest Griffin, he's got that highlight of shame against Anders and Silva, where he gets straight video gamed. You know, he gets mm. straight pootie tanged. For those who know, but the fans still loved him. Fans always respected his effort. Yeah, and uh, Stefan mentioned racism. It's because around the second round of this fight, I turned to Stefan in this bar we're at, and I said, "Stefan, have you noticed all the white people are voting are rooting for?" Uh, Forest and everybody who's not white is rooting for Rampage. And you're like, of course I've noticed that. <laughs> Only oh, thing I've uh, noticed. Low-key, one of my favorite moments to do with these two guys, too, also is one of the greatest, uh, probably the greatest tough coach challenge, in my opinion. I know a lot of people don't even care about that. But when they played basketball, oh yeah, man, Rampage was like that scene in The Office when uh, Michael recruits Stanley because he's black, and then uh-huh. Stanley gets the basketball, and he's never played a moment in his life. He's just so awkward. S- Steph, was it Jackson? Was it uh, was it Dana or one of the fighters who says Forrest shoots like Larry Bird in his prime? <laughs> then Forrest is dropping threes, and then he dunks. <laughs> and every page is all as quick to be like self-deprecating. He knows himself, and he's like, "I'm the only black guy in Memphis that doesn't know how to play basketball." <laughs> Um, so yeah, that happened on this date. Um, I'll talk about this. July third, two thousand ten, Brock versus Shane Carwin, and um, famous fight for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, Shane Carwin beat the shit out of Brock Lesnar for the entire first round. It's a ten seven. If there ever was a ten seven, um, just murdered him basically. Second round, we saw that Shane Carwin has nothing left. Brock winked at him, uh, was smiling at him. 
Brock got him down, worked the fucking arm triangle. People lost their mind. And that fight stuck out to me. Um, it's a weird thing to remember. But uh, we were watching it at my parents' house. Uh, all three of us were there. And we were all standing up. And within, all of us were within, within a foot and a half of the TV, just standing there staring at it. And it made me think, like, man, Brock's just a big deal, man. As simple as that. Brock's a big deal. Um, July 5th, 2014, Marcus, Ronda versus Alexis Davis. We were at that one, huh? Yep. That was, that was a good beatdown. That was easily one of the fights where I didn't know what knocked them out. I was like, did she get knocked out from a judo throw? And I was like, oh, wait, no. She clearly was already out and got ragdolled about. Yeah, I remember we all, like, we just looked at each other. Nobody said anything for a good, like, five seconds. <laughs> just like, wow. That was murder. Um, And then, uh, Marcus, July 6, 2013, Anderson Silva went out there, danced too much, huh? Got knocked out by Chris Weidman. Oh, oh yeah. I when he said he danced too much, I was like, well, there's a couple, there's a couple instances of lots of dancing going on. Didn't know which one we're pulling from. Uh, that was the first one, right? Yeah, when he actually got knocked out, right? The second one was yeah. leg break. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was surprising, right? Like Anderson was top dog, you know. And I think I think a lot of people knew Weidman was a real legitimate threat, especially after his chill fight, where we kind of saw like, ooh man, wrestlers kind of got it on him. Didn't really think he'd get it done with the hands, but yeah, too much clowning, you pay. Um, July 7th, 2012, Anderson versus Chael, the sequel. Um, Chael threw the dumbest spinning backfist in the history of spinning backfists. Um, Anderson was cheating everywhere you could. Like, he was grabbing Chael by the shorts so he could punch him. That was the best part for me. Um, and then, uh, it was a culmination of a feud that was so great for Anderson and Chael. Chael really gave Anderson the foil that he needed. Like, that was the peak right there. We got the payoff of this rivalry and uh fight we went to the first one. we went to the first one this one was just anderson being anderson finding a way to win and then stefan uh two years ago ufc 200 we thought we were going to be main evented by john jones and daniel cormier too didn't really work out that way huh man ufc 200 that that mustard colored mat was ugly that was oh, yeah. uh that was an eyesore to be the cherry on top to a series failed fights well at the end of the day it was um amanda nunez right yep that was our, our big moment um props to her but ufc 200 is one of the all-time examples of a what could have been event yep amanda nunez went out there took care of business um just beat misha tate's ass um put uh, yeah that was impressive uh so yeah a lot of history you gotta get to july man some big shit happened i didn't even go farther back quite frankly um, I'm not even looking to the pride end of this, so my bad there. I'll try to do that a little bit more in these weeks, but there was just so much UFC stuff, and a lot of it we'd um we had a connection to um that Ronda and Alexis Davis one where she knocked her out like three times at once was just fucking incredible. Um, you mentioned it, but I think historically, right, the Fourth of July is kind of right there with the New Year's Eve. Those are kind of the big dates of the year. They uh, usually yeah. they usually try to get big ones for the uh, around those seasons. I mean, just as a spoiler alert, next week we're going to talk about um, well, Chad Mendes versus Conor McGregor. Still, the most fun I've ever had at a cage fight because um, of Irish people. God bless them; uh, they have a good time. Um, all right, let's do um, let's do stuff we like. This is on pace. I mean, I'm sure we're going to fuck this up to being like one of our most reasonably timed podcasts ever. Um, and I'm going to put this out there, guys. Let's not talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp because I didn't get to fucking see it, man. I don't think any of us saw it, actually. Oh, we got to do that. Stefan, did you see it? Um, we could try to with Mark and Ed, but the timing wasn't right. No, we got we to gotta catch that shit. So I'm going to talk about what I watched. Um, I watched Glow Season 2. Oh, that was going to be mine too, Bob. Did you, Okay, did you finish it? I I never been shows, and I watched all of that in the fourth. Yeah. Um, Stefan, did you see any of it? Not even a little bit. Okay. Then we're not going to get You want me to tune out? I can let you go spoilers. We can do general. We can do general. Um, I, Marcus, I thought it was pretty good. And, I mean, I know you binged it. I mean, it implies better than pretty good. Um, There's stuff. I kind of watching it as, like, a wrestling fan, too. And there was a couple red herrings in there Um, that, like, kind of stuck out where I'm like, this is some bullshit. Like, that shit wouldn't have... Uh, look, Stefan, just... Mute yourself for like five seconds. Because I right? am interested to hear this. This because okay. I didn't have a lot of okay. criticism. Um, yo, uh, when she hurt that girl on purpose, we oh, came okay. back from that way too quickly, man. That is not okay. 
And that would have been something that stuck around way longer than that shit. Stefan, come back. Um, that was it. That was, honestly, though, I thought it was really good. I forgot a lot of what happened in the first season, if I'm being honest. Um, I watched a recap. Did yeah, I, I forgot who the fuck, I forgot who Florian was for like a good 10 minutes. Um, yeah, so, God, Mike, you showing up now for stuff we like? Yo, man, like I told you before the uh, the podcast started, there was a plumbing emergency here in the building. I yeah, I said, you were, I, I, I said you were laying pipe, Mike. Let's not ruin the thing for the people. The illusion's right? broken. <laughs> let's, not, let's not ruin the – I put you over, buddy. Let's just, let's just roll with it, okay? That would be um, some weird-ass porn if I was laying pipe with my dad. But, uh, oh, right. Maybe you know, Mike has, that were left out, but Mike is just coming in with the exposition yeah. right now. Yeah, Jesus, Mike. Um, yeah, Glow. Um, I dug it, man. I thought Glow was uh, was really good. Um, before I go to Marcus here, I just want to say, and also, the Bullet Club is not fine. And that shit they pulled on New Japan in San Francisco while I had a great time at 226. I would have liked to have gone to that, too. It looked like a lot of fun at the Cow Palace, as dirty and shitty as that place is. So yeah, that was mine, Marcus. Uh, yeah, I did want to. Um, I'm. I don't want to. I'm not going to talk to any story stuff about Glow, but probably easily my favorite uh, original series on Netflix. Um, it, and it's it's weird because yeah, going into the second season, I've it actually came out like two weeks ago. It's like last weekend was the first weekend it was kind of out, and I kind of I knew it was at the end of June, and I still kind of missed it. And then even going into it, I was like, okay, this will be fun, and just. The first episode, I don't know what it is. I can't really put my finger on what it is exactly about that show, but it is just like I've fallen off of the like the binging shows, which has gotten very popular recently. And did you I've find very... the Marcus? Did you find not just the soundtrack, but like the score? Like the music does such a good job of that show of setting the mood, and it kind of like it's just. I think they do such a good job of that show transporting me to the era that it's in. Yeah, and I think one of the things they do really well is that it's not too heavy handed. Right, like it's not really just pushing your face, like oh, it's in the '80s. It's just like the set design, the soundtrack, dialogue, and stuff. Like everything just screams authentic, but not like, well, is this weird that we're in the '80s and let's have all these like you know pop reference jokes and stuff? There's not really a lot of that. It's just a good, solid show with well written characters and a fun storyline. And it is, I like I said, I just I don't really binge a lot of shows, even shows I I do end up watching all of it. I like to watch an episode, maybe two at once, and then take a break. I'm very stagnant to where I like, I like to watch a little bit of a show and then I'll take a break for a while. And I very rarely kind of watch all of a show in, in a day. Um, but it just speaks to how much I enjoyed uh, watching Glow. And it was one of those things, just like the first season two did this, like not only did I watch all the shows, like I'm distraught when it was over. I was like, I'm not done yet. I didn't get my fill yet. Like I want more. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm hungry for more. And that's a really fun, exciting place to be in. And besides this and Quora, I guess, are the two shows where it's just like I finish them and I'm like, man, I, I'm not really done yet. I could watch more of this. So um, I think it already got a third season. I, I would be shocked if this was the end of it. They've they've written themselves to go into different places. So, uh, yeah, I really liked it. Um, so the last I, thing uh, that I'll mention for things I like this week. One um, second, Marcus, before you get to that, I want to say that um, the uh, Kia Stevens – who plays um, Welfare Queen. Right. Yeah, the okay. actual pro wrestler. That is, yeah, that is Awesome Kong was her name. Okay. And she was just a bad motherfucker. I said this when the first season happened. I'm going to say it again now. She is so good on that show for somebody who's, not a, like, who's never done this shit before. She is fucking killing it. Yeah. Her whole arc she, with her son yeah, she was has, incredible. She has like her own episode with a fantastic storyline arc with, you know, you kind of get to know more of her as a person. That's kind of... What I think was missing in the first season was that there's a lot of interesting characters on the show and they don't always get a lot of time to be developed. And I still think there's a couple characters on the show that even after second season didn't get a lot of time in the spotlight. Um, but I'm just more excited for them to do more episodes and, uh, you know, explore those characters because that's really what it is. It's just really these are really well written characters that have a lot of depth to them. And because of that, I'm invested and because I'm invested in the characters, I'm invested in the story that they're kind of going through. And it's just top-notch show. Just really, really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, so I did want to mention there is a big game coming out on Switch on Friday. Um, it's called Octopath Traveler. This is kind of sorely what the Switch needs as a console is a big third-party exclusive that's only on the Switch. 
Um, this is developed uh, from Square Enix. Um, this is also the team that has done Bravely Default um, on the 3DS and just classic JRPG. Um, and what's really interesting about this one, kind of like the title ensues, you actually play as eight different characters. And it seems like you start, you get to pick which of the eight you start as. And as they kind of go through their storyline, you slowly kind of meet up with the other characters. And I guess they all kind of have their through storylines that you can kind of go through and figure out. And uh, right now, if you have a Switch or interested, you can get a demo. It lets you play the first three hours of the game. And when you're done with the demo, you can actually transfer that save over to the main game if you end up choosing to get it. So that way you don't have to really replay three hours um, of the game, which I think is a really great way to see if you're kind of interested. You don't know much about JRPGs. Why not give the demo a try? And you'll know within the first hour or so if this is something that you're interested in or not. So, yeah, Octopath Traveler looks really cool. Um, Stefan, you got anything? Yeah, um, I am actually planning to get the game that Mark mentioned. Uh, so a good reminder. Um, it looks a, it looks like a lot of fun. I've looked at it a little bit also. I don't – Mono, what do you think, guys? Do you think something Bobby – you think that's something I'd like? Or? It, that would be a push. Because you're not really an RPG guy, and this is going to be kind of heavy into that. But, Bobby, like I said, there's a demo, right? So try it out. Yeah. And Because I, I know you haven't really played a lot of turn-based RPGs, um, so I don't know if that... I, I think you could get into it. I really do. Is there um, no... There's no online multiplayer for this? No, no. It's, it's a JRPG, Bobby. They don't yes. do the online bullshit, okay? It's about reading and grinding. That's what JRPGs <laughs> are about. <laughs> Japanese grind uh, game. Uh, Stefan, back to you, though. Um, yeah, looking forward to that game. Um, not too much. I've been hosting uh, one of my uh, oldest friends from college who uh, came from uh, Portland and was hanging out. But So I've just had a chance to catch up on a couple things. I've uh, been loving the World Cup. We're at the Final Four now. Um, it's a fun Final Four. Uh, bless Croatia for getting out those pesky Ruskies. Um, no one, no one wants that host country to go far. They got their, they got their bump. A lot of refs swallowing the whistle, but um, I believe they are playing. Who is Croatia playing? It's England, isn't it? England. Uh, yeah, the England. So England's finally got the money. And you got France and Belgium, who have both been got a lot of talent on those teams. Uh, it's a fun final four. I really don't know who's going to win it. Um, I think all of them have holes, but I, I think that's why it's going to be compelling. I've, I've, I've dug this World Cup schedule. Uh, waking up at like you know 7 a.m. in the morning to watch a couple games it's been good times and then besides that i've just caught up on uh my hero academia um pretty fucking amazing third season has been fun united states of smash one of my all-time favorite anime moments it's yeah. uh that was a pretty spectacular sequence overrated uh, yeah um World Cup's been a good time. Um, I like the I like England. Mike's just not patriotic enough to appreciate the United States of Smash. Look, man, um, I could get into that shit. How is it that when he was at full power, he was he wasn't able to be all for one, but when he's using the last little bits of one for all, then he's able to beat him. Come on, Mike. Son, you, you said you like you said you like uh, JRPGs. Let me tell you about the Limit Breaker. It's only available at access when you are right on the cusp. You got that flashing health bar. You are going to die on the next hit. It is now your ultimate power is access. You just talked about the JRPG. Yeah, okay, that, I got... I, that dude literally had one big arm. That was it. That was some bullshit. But it was the biggest arm. Okay, let's... Um, let, we, I got to ask the important questions here. Mike, I need to know, how fucking hot is it over there that you cut off all your hair? Because you haven't looked this... You haven't had a hair this short since we were like 25. Hello. Well, it looks like Mike's internet ca crapped out, but I'll will tell you it's hot here too. <laughs> yeah, I know my mic looks fresh though. Mike, you back now? Can you hear us? I can hear you guys now. All right. What happened to the hair, Mike? You're looking. It looks good. You got it nice and tight there. What happened to all your hair? I gotta know. Is it too hot? Uh, I decided instead of doing my normal two uh, on my Andis machine, which is six point three millimeters. Okay. I decided to switch it up and use my 1A tooth, which is four millimeters, which when your hair is this short, that makes a huge difference. I like that Mike cuts his, was cutting his hair the same length I cut my uh, my beard at. Six millimeters. That's my move. Um, Did uh, guy, uh, anyone else think Bobby was going to say his junk? That's what I no, thought. Correct. <laughs> no, I, I go with the fade when it comes to the junk, man. All right? It's, it's, it's just basically a stubble at that point. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Yeah, you you brought up my junk, man. We had to talk about it, Ben. Um, Mike, 
Um, I'm going to ask you stuff we like. Do you have anything you like this week? And you can't talk about Ant-Man and Wasp because nobody, nobody's fucking seen it. I haven't seen it yet. I, I kept trying to find a time this weekend to use my movie pass for it, but I just didn't want to go. Um, I actually am doing the free trial for YouTube Premium. Um, it's really nice to be able to download uh, YouTube videos that you want to watch and watch them on the train, so that's pretty nice. Uh, I think for a third week in a row, I will give you an update on Stefan's ridiculous show, Shugeki no Soma. Um, yeah, the show's really grown on me. It is still absolutely ridiculous, um, but it well, You can't that, stop watching. You can't I stop can't, watching. Well, I can stop watching. I did stop watching because I'm all caught up now in season three. So I literally cannot watch any more episodes. It's a fantastic show. Give it a chance, Mark, but maybe uh, watch the first couple episodes. Wait, is, it, is it Food Wars? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Because I saw one. I, I, I did see it on, I think it was, I was on VRV. And I was like, this is probably the show we're talking about, but I wouldn't put it past them to have two, three, or four cooking anime shows. So I was like, I'm not sure if this is the right one. Okay, so Food Wars, I've seen it. Maybe I'll give it a shot. I did watch one more episode of My Hero Academia. So I'm like a season, I'm like two seasons behind on that. So. I, I will say that I think one reason why it, it's warmed up to me is that it really does kind of spoof and parody a lot of the, uh, the, the TV shows that are in Japan. Um, because if you spent more than three hours watching TV, like Japanese TV shows, just flipping through the channels, you know that 90% of the shows either consist of a bunch of comedians on a stage making jokes or food shows. And those food shows, they always have all of the people that are tasting the food making the most exaggerated expressions as to how delicious the food is. And this show takes that up another another notch, and it's it's very reminiscent of a lot of those shows, except in anime form. Mike, um, just since you weren't around, just asking you, uh, did you have a good time with that Brock Lesnar shit? That was quintessential WWE right there, right there. Yeah, I mean that was, was a masterstroke by the U the, by the UFC. Was it fun? Oh, it was delightful. I loved it. Uh, yeah, um, people lost their damn minds. It was kind of cool. We'll yeah. see. So, so John, you guys probably talked about this, but John Jones was for sure throwing a Steuben glass against the wall just in rage on on Saturday, right? Because Daniel Cormier is taking all his squirrel. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, that's what we thought as well. Um, he may not be able to get to get to him if he's just, if DC's really gonna retire in March. He's going to take his Brock fight, and he's going to retire. It's going to be a wrap. <laughs> uh, if he does, I'll hold it against him. I'll say he ran. John Jones will, too. I'll say he ran. Look, that's true, too. That, me- that, that means that, Stefan, you're gonna, you, we might as well just drive over to Gilroy High. He's the wrestling coach. He's going to be there probably around 3.15. We'll go up to Mr. Coach, coach Cormier and say, Coach Cormier, we'd like you to compete with John Jones. What's going on here, man? What's, uh... And while we're there, we'll get some garlic because it's going to Gilroy, and that's what you do. We were kind of joking that uh, if Stipe won, he would take uh, Cormier's spot as the uh, Gilroy wrestling coach. He's a part-time firefighter, part-time wrestling coach, and the champion. There's a lot of all-or-nothing narratives when it comes to DC. Okay, I'm actually digging this. Um, Our podcast is only an hour and three minutes long this week. About to be an hour and four. I'm going to call it. Nice. Because, fuck, yeah, let's let's, let's, uh, let's get this going. Okay, um... Guys, thank you all so much for listening. We're going to be back next week. We're previewing this. Um, I mean, we're not. We didn't preview it, but I, it's worth checking out this Dos Santos card, man. It's pretty deep, um, especially for a fight night. If this thing's on Fight Pass, it's not on Fight Pass. Um, and uh, after that, Shogun's going to fight Anthony Smith, which I didn't care about until apparently Shogun might get a fucking title shot. So I might have to pay attention to that in a couple weeks. Um, Corey Anderson and Glover, Marcin Tybura and Stefan Struve. We got some guys on this. Alan Juban's going to be handsome as fuck on that card. Um, then we got Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. Uh, mm-hmm. We got a lot of shit coming up, man. And that's got Jose Aldo's and Jeremy Jose Aldo versus Jeremy Steven at the co-main event. And Yoana Janjacek. And Yoana Janjacek versus Tisha Torres. Why are you doing that to Tisha? That's not necessary. Yoana, former champion. 
<laughs> Joanna Violence. Um, then we're going to get ourselves to Dillo Chavez Garbant 2. UFC laid out their cards for the rest of the year. None of them in the fucking Bay Area. Um, so that kind of sucks. Um, but they're gonna, they, it's the 25th anniversary. They're going to go to Denver in November. That's kind of cool. So. Are they going back to McNichols? <laughs> uh, they should go back to McNichols. Actually, no, they're going in September, I think. But they should, uh, man. Why the fuck not? Yeah. They're going to be... They're going back to Dallas. They're going to Moscow. The UFC's going all over the place. I, You know what the problem with Scott Coker being a fucking MMA promoter is? The UFC does not run the Bay Area when Scott Coker's around. It's disappointing. <laughs> and they go to fucking territory. Sacramento. He knows it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hell, we want to go. Um. Somebody on Wikipedia has named UFC 2... 230 for Madison Square Garden as uh, Habib versus McGregor. We can only hope, yeah, folks. We can dream. That's cool. <laughs> we, we can only hope, man. We can only fucking hope. Um, oh, they're doing a fight night at the Pepsi Center in Denver. So they're not trying too hard with this 25th anniversary. All right. That's it. We out. Congratulations to Daniel Cormier. Puts himself up there among the greatest of all time. We'll have that debate one day when there's nothing going on. Uh, until then, I was Dr. Law. Kid Presentable was here. DJ Mark was here. Lavender Goom still made it to the show despite dealing with a bunch of shit and it being like 11 p.m. over there. So shout out to our boy there. I was going to say literally dealing with some shit. Dealing with some shit. Um, and we are out. Peace. See ya. See ya.